Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Hello, welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today, we have with us a very interesting guy by the name of David Blake. Dave has over 40 years experience in the human resources and administrative fields, including positions in the private, public, and government sectors. Additionally, he has served as an adjunct faculty member for several universities where he teaches advanced level courses related to human capital management as well as leadership. He has spoken and published on a wide variety of articles about workforce engagement, benefits, learning, and development. He is a nationally certified executive coach through the Institute for Life Coach Training. David has been married to his wife, Terry, for 41 years, has four awesome kids, two boys and then two girls, and five beautiful grandchildren. They live in San Diego with their three dogs. David Blake is a proud retired member of the United States Air Force. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Pleased to be here. It's a great way to start the day. Thank you. So how did you get into the field that you're in now? That's a great question. I think initially, it's just a a real desire to understand how people work and function. I think it's a fascinating field. We study a lot of different things in the world, but very seldom do we study that very thing that we spend most of our time doing, working. So I'm intrigued at the behaviors people bring to work and how best to bring, I would always say, the passions and motivations out of people to help organizations be more effective. So it's really around a desire to work and help people. It's been sort of a internal passion of mine for many years and what's really driven my research and my teaching as well. How has the pandemic changed how we look at work? And yeah, we'll never a, go back to the way it was before. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, people always say, you know, it's a new normal and it's a new normal on many fronts. I think the pandemic, if there was any good, it changed the way we, I, I think, think about work and the way we lead people at work. And ultimately, what are people expecting out of work? So if you look at it, Pre-pandemic time, workers, they were driven by, you know, the usual things that people are driven by. I need a job. I need to pay my bills. I go to work. I fulfill my obligations. I go home, repeat the cycle day after day after day. The pandemic, a lot of people felt and experienced a lot of loss on many fronts, uh, financial loss, business loss, human loss of relatives that might have been loved ones that departed prematurely because of the virus. They lost jobs. Gallup created a survey a few years ago and and was comparing engagement between post-pandemic or pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And what they noticed was that during the pandemic or after the pandemic, rates of engagement of employees decreased by up to 15%. So it posed a question, well, what is different? What What do people want today? 
So what we're finding is either through some observation, obviously, I have people that work for me, or through what the research is telling us is about half the people today prefer to work virtually or in a hybrid manner, which means I go in sometimes and I'm home sometimes. And so traditionally, supervisors really did resist having people work in a remote fashion. It was that old argument, if I can't see you, I must not know what you're doing. And I like to think I was on the forefront of that because previously I was always arguing, it doesn't matter where they sit, it's what they do. So we went through a two and a half year social experiment where people worked, lived and interacted just like what you and I are doing today on a screen, on a video call. They didn't, they didn't interact in a social way. Oddly enough, the very thing that humans craved the most was the thing that we were denied, which was social interaction. What we're finding today is people are still leery about being in that public space. They're still scared about the contagious nature of the virus. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? So what we found is after that, people said, hey, you know what? I like working remotely. It gives me flexibility I never had before. And study after study shows that people who work in some form remotely tend to be far more productive than those in the office. So it's a challenge for, for especially for jobs that require people to be in a seat, right? You can't be a manufacturing worker and work from home. I mean, you can't be necessarily a nurse and work from home, even though telemedicine, right? So look at telemedicine today. All of my appointments in the last two and a half years have been through the telephone or directly video and really change the way we look at work and the way we deliver work and what's important to people. I don't think work is important to people as we once thought it was. I think balance is what people are craving today. Absolutely. Well, one thing that we could see right off the bat in terms of an advantage to working from home is shaving off an hour and a half or an hour commute each way to the office, whereas you could then take that time and put it to more positive effect in working right away. The only thing that you need to do is, you know, get ready and move from one room to the next in your house and you're at work. Correct. And I think that's a major benefit to people. I hear a lot of people say, I use it instead of spending an hour in traffic, which is not unusual here in California. Where do I spend my hour in the morning? Exercising, meditation, yoga, something that prepares you for the day. So it's really kind of a nice way to ease into your day without being kind of thrown into the hustle and bustle of getting to work. Absolutely. And the activities that you just mentioned are just so important for us to, you know, calm down and be able to think better. Yeah, I do think people today look for ways to sort of de-stress. And the fact is we can't get rid of all stress, but there are techniques that people are learning to manage it better. You know, so for example, you know, we have the school I work at, we have a lot of folks that are in very pressure-packed programs to graduate. And so we offer mindfulness programs and we we even bring dogs to work now as a way of helping calm our students during finals time, which we find an interesting thing. So, you know, who would have thought of these things probably a couple of years ago? I'm sure they were out there, but I think during those times, a lot of people thought, well, those are silly things to do. People really want that stuff today. People want and are striving for balance. 
However, I think that people do cross the line when they bring in their pet ostrich. Or yes, pet. <laughs> yes, we we limit it with limit it to registered compassion dogs. There's actually here the Society for Humane Society has animals they bring in, and and they're just wonderful. I people live for when the dogs are coming by. Well, they're you know it's therapy. You know it, it is. In addition to dogs liking pets, you know, like we as people love to pet them. Correct. They like us and we like them. What would you say are five things that someone could do right now to make a difference for their employees outside of, you know, like giving raises? The yeah. problem that the problem that most businesses have and and doctors are not immune to this is that, you know, you spend the time training your employees and you know, you don't want to see them go in a few months and having to start the process over. And it's not that easy to find employees these days. And, you know, it's competitive. You know, your competition is buying for the same employees that you are. So, you know, how do I make a difference outside of being like a Google where I have a basketball court and hot wheels and vending machines. <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, let's face it, you know, we need money to function daily, right? It's not that we don't need a paycheck and we need a paycheck that is going to do the best it can to meet the needs that we have. Because we know inflation right now is, is you know, somewhere around eight or nine percent. Average average increases this year are estimated to be between everywhere between two point five and three percent. You you cap that with the, the constant need to be able to provide benefits that you can afford. That becomes a little problematic, right? So you almost end up in a sort of a negative situation. So what are employees looking for today? We know number one that people do not leave organizations necessarily for pay. And people say, well, you know, I do an exit survey, and my employee said the reason they're leaving is pay. Well, that's a safe answer, right? Nobody's going to get upset with you for that. But deep down, peeling the onion back, what we find is, and there's a lot of, again, research out there, what we find back in the in the deepest, darkest parts of the peeled back onion is that people leave bosses, people leave cultures, people leave organizations that don't fit their values. So what can you do? I think, first of all, sincerely understanding and appreciating your employees is number one nobody wants to work for a jerk. You know, I sometimes make it so simple as that, right? We want to work for somebody that cares about us, understands us, wants to start the day by saying, how was your weekend as opposed to what are you going to be doing for me today? So it's, again, it's that creating that personal connection. I think number two, it's communication. Tell me what's going on. You know, I think some companies are very transparent. Some organizations are very transparent. They tell you everything. And some organizations are not transparent. And I think every organization's culture has to determine the degree to which they want to be transparent. I think the other thing that's the other thing that's important is they want somebody who is passionate about what they do, that they truly believe in the mission of what they're called to do. So if they're physicians, for example, they want to work for physicians who truly want to heal. If they work for lawyers, they want to work for lawyers who want to do good in the world. If they work for a biotech startup, they want to be doing work that's cutting edge. It's going to improve mankind in general. And for, oh, go ahead, please. What happens when a doctor is like so burnt out? Yeah. That there is a depressive environment going on for everybody. Do you recommend liaison between the doctor and the rest of the employees? 
I do. I think sometimes interventions are healthy to try to sort of understand where the break is. A lot of times the doctor and their employees, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's an, I don't want to say an adversary relationship, but it's a power relationship. So a lot of times the employees do not necessarily want to go and talk. And so what I find sometimes is organizations reach out to people like me to try to mediate sort of the culture and the climate to get the conversation to be moving forward. I always say coaches are not therapists. They look at the past. I look at the future, right? So I'm trying to say, what is it we can do collectively to move past what is sticking us and getting us forward? I think in supervisors or excuse me, employees really want to a a leader who is going to develop them, take time to have them to encourage them to develop. And sometimes that development, this is what's interesting. I think sometimes you develop people right out of the job, right? They get so good, they move on. And people say, well, that's horrible to me. I said, it's the ultimate compliment to you that your employees have succeeded. It's natural to grow. Employees stay about an average of five to six years in a job now. Less movement right now because I think people are scared to move necessarily in a job. And finally, they too want to do something that is worthwhile. They want to be involved in work that's doing something good. And they have to see the connection between what I'm doing and what the output is. What is it doing to help make something better? You know, I I think I always use the example of every organization has custodial crews that go around and clean the organization. And I always say, just imagine that for a moment. Those people didn't do their job. What would your day be like? And so sometimes being able to equate the value of a person's job to the organization's mission is important. And the leader has to make that connection, right? People sometimes don't get it. It's like, well, I'm I'm just the custodian. I'm just the cafeteria worker. I'm just the fill in the blank. All people have to work simultaneously together to accomplish that organization or that doctor's office mission. Yeah, we're all on the same team. Agree. Now, you mentioned that nobody wants to work for a jerk. So can you take that jerk and make them a better person? Ah, that's great. Wouldn't that be great if I could just wave that wand? I, you know, I, I think I think people who have problems in terms of their interactions with people, I think they intuitively know it. I think most people are socially aware enough to know it. And I've had people say, I know I rub people the wrong way. And I always think, well, okay, that's the first step to realization we need change. I think if the individual is, I've worked with individuals like this and said, look, I know I can be abrasive. And sometimes they get, I always always say, sent to me as opposed to voluntarily coming to me. And so sometimes, in, regardless of the case, I said, well, are you interested in changing? Because if, if you're not, then there's nothing I can do. And as a result of that, there's going to be consequences in your office. You will lose people. It's a fact of life. People don't stay with people that they don't respect or admire. And so when it's obviously easier when someone says, look, help me brush off. I'm just, I'm terrible at communicating. I'm terrible at the warm, fuzzy stuff. I know I can be impatient. Can you help me with that? And I always say, if you want to change it, we could talk about how, but you have to be telling me that this is something I recognize, you know, I have the emotional intelligence and I want to do something about it. If the answer is, yeah, sure, we can begin that process to work through it. So do you give them exercises when they are totally a, a not a warm and fuzzy person? Do you yeah. say like, well, I think that you need to give out three compliments a day mm-hmm. that you need to 
stroke somebody's ego? I mean, like, do you have like an exercise program or tips that you tell these people who need to improve? Yeah, I think one of the, I think falsities in dealing with people and trying to adjust behavior is first of all, recognize what they're not good at. You know, I had, I had a boss one time tell me, well, I'm just not warm and fuzzy. It's just, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I said, okay, but what do you, what do you think you're good at? She goes, well, I love to write. Oh, okay. Have you ever thought about writing thank you cards to people? What? I said, yeah, just an old fashioned thank you card. I mean, it's the most intimate way to say thank you to somebody. And so she started doing that. She would go around early in the morning before work started and she'd put a card on people's desks who had done something that was wonderful. So instead of focusing on what she's not good at, we said, well, let's focus what you are good at. So if there's an element, so part of the reason a coach works with people is to say, well, what can, let's minimize what you're not good at, right? Let's not try to make you somebody you're not, but there's elements about you that are very powerful. So let's try to understand those and then use those as a way of enhancing where there might be a downside. That was such a great idea. Yeah, I I, le- I learned that from an old supervisor about 40 years ago, and I still do it to this day. And most people remember me as the guy that gave me the thank you card. Yeah, I remember that guy gave me a thank you card. Well, also a nice thing about thank you cards is they can then show it around. Absolutely. I, I know people that will pin them up. It's just a way of saying, look, my boss said thank you. Uh, I can tell you, I have a file in my office of every thank you card I've ever received. And trust me, if you're having a rough day, pick up that box of thank you cards and go back and realize you've done a lot of good along the way, too. And there are people that will actually carry it in their wallet to oh, absolutely. take mm-hmm. a look at from time to time. Yep. Yep. My wife had a, a number of years ago, put a little sticker in my wall that says, remember, you got this. And so I'd open up my wallet and, you know, it'd be sitting there kind of wore off after time and, and, and just use of my wallet. But, you know, it's just kind of reminded me that, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all come to work wanting to do our best. And so do that sometimes carry, need, I'm sorry, yeah, do you pass that over to your children? Yeah, I do. I, I, I love communicating with my children. I, you know, I sometimes they, they love to text. And what I love about a text sometimes is you can make a short message like, I love you. Have a great day. And so, or my granddaughter's birthday is tomorrow. And we're going to see her. You know, I mean, obviously that's going to be fun for us, but yeah, you know, I'll drop her a text in the morning and just say, Hey, this is a great day. We're going to celebrate you. And I think those little messages are far more impactful than, you know, big events, right? Because you took the time to reach out to the person and just tap them on the shoulder and tell them you're thinking about them. So, yes, I, I, I have to admit, I do practice what I preach with, with my kids, and I've noticed it rubs off. You know, I, I've noticed how they deal with their children, and I know how they tend to deal with their spouses. So hope, hopefully I've done a little good in that world as well. Well, you know, it's like pay it forward. When you make somebody yeah. feel good, they yeah. then make other people around them feel good. Right. And I and I think a lot of times, too, we don't we never know what the true things that people are going through every day. So before we, I always tell supervisors, before you unload on somebody, think for a moment, could that person have something going on in their life that maybe caused them to have a bad day? Have you ever asked, hey, is there something going on because you don't seem yourself? So before we attempt to criticize and to, in essence, sort of kick them when they're down, let's have a better understanding of where they sit today in the world. And that could be simple as a question is, you know, look, looks like something's not 
firing on all cylinders. You're doing okay. So I found that to be a better approach than just, you know, some supervisors right away want to say, let me tell you all the things that are going wrong. Instead of saying, hey, is there something that might be happening to you that you're experiencing? Because remember, again, coming out of COVID, people suffered a lot of loss. And the loss, they, they couldn't grieve that loss normally because we were separated. And I tell, I've spoken to a lot of people after, who lost people during the pandemic who told me they still carry that grief and are still processing. Absolutely. What does the short-term future look like in terms of employee retention? Yeah. I think right now, employees, this is what's interesting. I think, you know, unemployment is two and a half, three percent. I always say when you get to those numbers, you're really at zero unemployment. And what I mean by that is that everybody who really wants to work is going to work. And so what happens is, is that that small portion of people that aren't working are sort of what I call the chronically unemployed. And there's all sorts of reasons for those things, which makes it very difficult to post a job and find people. Because right now, I think in the short term, people are scared to move. They want to see what's going to happen. They don't want, they, they've gone through two and a half years of uncertainty. Why would I want more of this? And changing a job is uncertain. You know, there's an element of risk associated. Now, on the downside to that, some employees who need to move on aren't because they're comfortable. And I think especially when you work in a small setting, like a doctor's office, having employees who, who should go but don't make it very difficult. And sometimes the other employees end up carrying the work. But I had a supervisor tell me one time, so, well, I have five employees and I have this one that's not very productive. And if I let that employee go, I'll only have four and they'll have to do the work. I said, well, realistically, they're probably already doing it. <laughs> right. So you could save the money that you're paying that fifth person and divvy it up to the four that are. And so I think the future of work looks a little different. It's it's going to be a hybrid world. We know that about 50% of the work arrangements currently today are hybrid. People are at home. People are at work. There's flexibility. People want increased flexibility. The days of nine to five, I think, are pretty well gone. We live in a global economy. We have people that can access information any time of day or night. I noticed the other day I, I was visiting my doctor, and the urgent care now even takes appointments. I've never seen an urgent care that you can actually call in and make an appointment for urgent care instead of having to go in there and sit. Time is important to people nowadays. They don't want to be caught up in things. But I think at the end of the day, employees are going to continue to really strive to want work that they can, cre that they can create value in personally but where they can bring their passions and motivations to the job. They don't want to go through the motions. And we see this really heavily in the younger generation. I have found more people in their 50s today that I talk to that want to change careers than ever before. And I ask them why. Why, you know, why would you do that? You've been doing this for so many years. And they say the same thing. I'm not getting the level of satisfaction from this job that I once did. It's burning me out. I can't do it anymore. And I hear that from a lot of people, especially in the professional fields where there is a lot of demand, demand to be successful, demand on your time, demand on your resources. So, yeah, I do think uh, going forward, people are looking to find work where they can sort of connect their passion to their work and have opportunities to sort of create the best work arrangement for them that's supported by that job. Yeah. How do you let someone go who 
is not being productive and is bringing is tainting the rest of the environment other than just saying like you know like pack your bags i mean is 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 there is there a way to do it yeah there is i mean i think what i think is always important is if somebody is beginning to sort of have performance problems it's critical that you tell them about it right give them a chance to fix it say look this currently isn't working out and we're going to need to take some steps and here's what we're going to do to change that performance because I need you at this level, but you're at that level, right? You, you need to be able to step up to that. We're a small group and everybody's got to pull their full, full share of the work. Obviously that puts the ball in the employee's court. They can either rise to the occasion or sink to the moment. Mm-hmm. But I think the tough question is at what point do you finally say enough is enough, right? And I think in every job, a, a job is, you know, we're not, I always say to business owners, you're not running a charity here unless you are running a charity, <laughs> but, you, but you still have to be able to be mindful of the bottom line. And I think after a period of time, and there's no set number, it's, it's you know, if you feel you've done everything as a leader to work with that individual to change their behavior, and they are not responding, then your only option is to sit down with them. And, you know, I, I never use the words, you're fired, you're terminated. You know, that's, that's great for television shows. What I basically say is, I don't think this is working out anymore. I think we need to plan what your strategy looks like to exit the organization. Sometimes I've actually had people say to me, I'm glad you finally brought this up. They need to be nudged sometimes in that direction. That's great advice and great words to, you know, carry forward. You know, especially doctors, you know, are reticent for change, you know, as long as things are not too painful, especially since they're, you know, maybe out of the office a lot, going to the hospital and making rounds, as long as things aren't too bad. I think that, you know, they tend to let things slide because the idea of, bringing in new people and having to train people all over again is painful. It is. It's it's painful and it's costly. I would argue on the other side, though, it's painful and costly when you don't have people performing at their highest level. I mean, think about this for a moment. We, we value a job at 100%. If you do 100% of the job, the compensation equals X. If you're only doing 70%, in essence, you know, I always say you're stealing from your employer, right? We enter in a contractual relationship with our employees. I agree to pay you as long as you agree to do the job. So, yes, I think change is painful, especially in the short term. I I don't disagree with that. But in the long term, keeping employees who don't function properly, especially in a job that's so critical in terms of patient care, in terms of documentation, things that are required of a physician on a daily basis, you don't want people doing 70% of your job. I always say, imagine somebody who is going to be a brain surgeon and they're only 70% qualified, right? I don't think I would pick that brain surgeon, right? I'd probably find a guy that's a little more prepared to do it. So we want people to be at 100% because we agree that's what we're going to pay you at, right? We're not going to say, well, on today you only did 70%, so I'm going to dock your pay. So yes, I think it can be tough in the short term, but in the long term, I think you're, you're in a better place. If a company or a business feels that they need you to step in and counsel or coach everybody to pinpoint what is wrong and how they could improve things moving forward, do you mm-hmm. spend time at that office for a certain period of time and then say, 
uh, well, I've discovered the issue yeah. and let's all sit down and change things. Yeah, I think the only way you really understand the culture is to go experience it, right? You know, people say, well, here's what my culture's like. And you'll get 10 different answers and they all work in the same office. I think one of the things I try to do first is, is interview people. Just talk to me. Tell me about tell me about what, what what's your work day like? What, what, you know, because believe me, they'll begin to share with you if they're comfortable with you exactly what it is they feel frustrated with. I think, too, they have to understand the people that you interview. That, you know, this is confidential. I'm not going to share names with people, but I am going to share a report to the leader that says, this is the general sense I get based on my experience. And I always say, it, here's a series of things I would suggest you might want to try. I never tell people you need to do this and you need to do that. It's not my business. But on the same token, you know, if you brought me in, you want that help, right? And so uh, part of my work is to, and, and I've used assessments too, culture assessments. I've used uh, motivation and passion assessments, different type of assessments. But I think the most effective way to do it is just talk to people. You know, so you never go back to the employer and say, listen, the consensus is everybody just thinks you're a schmuck. <laughs> I, well, you know, sometimes that is the message, right? And so, look, you hired me to tell you what I think. And what I think, and I probably do it, you know, obviously, I, you know, as both of us know, we'd be a little better than that, right? But I would say, look, I, you're challenged by your leadership right now. And unless here are some suggestions I give to you, and I'm happy to help you with them. But at the end of the day, if you, if, if you want something different, because that's what you asked me to tell you about, and you don't do those things, then the result will be the same. It's like if you go to a doctor, the doctor says to get rid of the headache, you take the aspirin. But if you don't take the aspirin, you will still have a headache. So I, I really work with people to say, look, here's my best advice over 40 years of what I've been doing to say, this is what I suggest you might do. And I can help you with that. But at the end of the day, the leader has to say, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. How long does it take you when you go into you know, premises mm -hmm. to get a good evaluation of what's going on? Yeah, it depends on the size of the organization. You know, smaller offices, you can do them in a day or two. You go in and basically sit down, observe, listen, ask people how they do work. I think it's always critical to understand how work moves in the office. Sometimes those create bottlenecks, frustrations, so forth. My background, my PhD is in organizational design. So I, I look at the organization and say, is it structured properly so that people feel they can interact properly, that information flows properly, that concerns go up and down in a way that's appropriate to take a look at their silos that sort of separate people and from one office to the other. It depends on the size of the organization, but you know, your average small size doctor's office a day or two to be able to go in there, conduct the interviews, get a sense of how things operate is usually sufficient. I'm afraid that I may have sidetracked you when you were telling me about the five things that people could do right now. Yeah. Was, was there anything else that you wanted to add to that? No, I think we hit them all in kind of one way or another. I do have a, a pamphlet on my website that'll give you kind of a more of an overview of that as well. But I, I, I do think it, at the end of the day, people want to work for good people. You know, I think, you know, people are, you know, what's the magic wand? And you could do all sorts of things, but if you're not the person people want to work for, they'll view, they'll see right through any fake attempt. So take care of your people, invest in your people. Invest in yourself. If you're killing yourself, you're, you can't be the best for your people. And I know doctors are notorious for this, right? They're, they work hard. But if you don't take time to take care of yourself, I tell leaders this all the time. You're telling people to take vacation, but you never take it. 
or you tell people not to answer email at night to go home and enjoy their family, but you send them six emails at nine o'clock at night. What do you think the message is? My boss is working. I need to work too. So, and embrace the new change. I think there's some great things about the way the workforce is moving. I don't think it's a negative thing at all, but it's hard for people to get around the old way of nine to five, Monday through Friday. One thing that you just briefly mentioned a moment ago, which is so important, is that you have a brochure on your website. Uh, What is that brochure titled or what is that about? And where is the website that people could find it? Yes, it's five steps to creating engaged teams, not just creating teams, but we want the teams that are fully engaged, right? They, they bring their full self to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the work. And my website is buildingforwardnow.com. That's an interesting title. How, how did you come to find that name? Yeah, because I think everybody is looking to the future, right? My work is always about the future and building on where you're at and where you want to go. But I think when we move forward, regardless of our age, and I think sometimes people, I've had people say to me, am I too old to do this? Right? How do, how do you do a career change at 55, 60 years old? I'm saying, well, you, you might not necessarily dump your day job, but you want to build on something that's going to set you up in your passions. Do you have a hobby? Do you do something? You tr- do you volunteer? So it's about looking at the future. It's about building the foundations of things that are based on your passions and motivation. And I tell people the best time to do it is now. I think a lot of times people get stuck. I'll do it next year. I'm kind of busy right now. And guess what? It's important to constantly evolve. Absolutely. If you don't evolve, you die. Yeah. I mean, how how many things have you looked at and said, I'll do that next year? And you remember, oh, I'm two years ahead of that now. So I guess I'll do it next year, right? So, yes, I think you have to, I think all humans and we know it's healthy for people, too. I tell people all the time when you're engaged at constant improvement and learning and change, it's good for your head. Right. We don't want to. I always tell my wife, I don't want to be one of those people that's scared of technology when I'm 80. I want to still be, you know, tell me how to use this. I want to learn it. It's something new and different. And I think I think it's learning is good, obviously, mentally, but I think physically as well. Well, Dave, it's been a real delight speaking with you today. You've been listening to David Blake. This has been another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.